0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And hi, we're back. Um, actually, I'm not back. Uh, we've been on the road this week, but I am up in Park City in the most gorgeous setting in the world. It's gorgeous, huge, house and a beautiful home where we're meeting with nine other mothers and we're having a mother's retreat. It's so fun. Richard, where are you?
1: Well, I'm just here wishing I was with you. I mean, you sound like you're having a pretty great time. Are there any men allowed up there or is it purely women only?
0: Absolutely. No man. In fact, we're talking about marriage right now. It's pretty funny. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you kind of need me there for that, don't you, to give a little balance to the Oh, to the no,
0: no, no, no. Discussion? We need – no, it's really interesting. Um, marriage is so different for everyone. I mean, everyone is so unique. There are three marriages that are really struggling, and they're working so hard to make it work so hard, and they're giving each other mm-hmm. great advice. And then there are others that are just, you know – they're are good marriages but kind of quiet marriages and others are fiery marriages and others as very true just saying we communicate by uh texting. I mean we're still <laughs> arguing face to face and really? getting all mad. We just text each other until we finally work it out. It was really it was fun.
1: Well wait, what what kind of marriage did you typify ours as? Uh, you mentioned the categories quiet, fiery, um uh, problematic um well, how, I, I think what, I,
0: I think I did ours on like um over proactive
1: overly proactive <laughs> over
0: the top proactive <laughs> um and so um we were just talking about the things that you know you need to talk about in marriage and and there's their moms here just saying, nope, that would never work. my husband won't talk at all, and um so you know it just you've, is you've great. Never had
1: You've never had that problem.
0: <laughs> that is one problem I have never ever had. In fact, you you uh, listeners probably know that I am married to a crazy guy, and uh, wait, I thought he, you said
1: I was pro. I thought you said I was proactive.
0: Totally proactive. In fact, I really, really hesitate to let him get in the truck and take the horses to St. George every year because he's in the car five hours all by himself, and he gets. So many ideas. By the time he gets home, he just knocks me over with them. And uh, two or three of them are great ideas, and a lot of them are just as weird as you can believe.
1: <laughs> well, you know, just uh, you know, it's fun to catch our listeners up on what we're doing. I'm I'm just down here preparing for some meetings. We've got a we've got a book, Linda and I, that some of you listeners are familiar with, called The Turning the subtitle is why the state of the family matters and what the world can do about it and we're so fortunate we've we've uh, through a serendipitous set of circumstances we've become acquainted with a wonderful woman producer of documentary films who lives in Switzerland and who is enamored with i, I don't know if she's so much enamored with our book although she obviously likes it because she wants to make it into a documentary but She's she's passionate about the fact that families, in, in her mind, have declined more. Uh, families, speaking of the basic institution of society, she believes there's been a greater decline and pullback from families and from commitments in marriage and parenting in the last four decades than there has in the previous 4,000 years. And she wants to make that argument and use... Uh, our book the turning is kind of the basis for it and and do a major documentary film and and she doesn't even like the word documentary cuz she feels like that that sounds dry and boring and statistical but 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 it'll be an emo- hopefully an emotional documentary on why we need families economically and societally to you know that they're the basic foundation of of our culture and how much they've declined and how we can maybe do something about it. So I'm preparing for her. She's coming in to visit uh and meet with some potential directors and so on next week. So I'm kind of busy with that. And with, I thought I ought to share that with our listeners, Linda, because, you know, maybe if we get everyone who listens to Ayers on the road to come to the premiere of whatever we end up calling the film, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be a cool thing? You know, maybe we could have <laughs> it a premiere cool. only, only exclusively for listeners to Irs on the Road. How would that be? How would they prove that they'd listened?
0: Um, oh, I know. I we, could know ask but...
1: we could ask them what kind of marriage we have, and then if they said overly proactive, we'd know that they'd actually listened to the show.
0: <laughs> you know what? Sometimes we wonder if anybody's listening to the show because we're just kind of talking to each other, but. We so appreciate you out there who are listening, and I'm here with a friend who has a beautiful home um, up in the Colony in Park City. And she said, "I just listen to your podcast every week. I don't necessarily go to the time, but I go and put it on. I put it on a phone, and then I listen to it while I'm walking." And she well, said, see, then, "I really." Uh,
1: let me just interrupt for a second because I wanted to mention that, and you beat me to it. A lot of we we do have an, an amazing number of listeners, and we hear about it everywhere we go. Someone says, oh, I listen every Saturday or whatever. But more and more people, because you can't always be available when a radio show comes on, and I want to compliment BYU Radio for doing such a great job of putting it as a podcast, and you can get it on almost any podcast app. If you have the iTunes app or if you have the Cast app or the one called Podcast App, you just put in ours on the road, and there it is, and you can listen to it any you want. And uh, sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to throw that in. But well, no, I, right. just, I have
0: a, f- a funny story to tell you because I, I tried to get her. She's been a dear friend, you know, since we were in Boston together 40 years ago. Yeah. And uh, it was so fun to be back with her, and we just talked motherhood for so long. And so um, the name of the show today is The Job of Mothers, and I told her that. and I said, Margaret, you've got to come on. You've got to come on and talk. She said, no, no, no. I be can't a guest do that. She, on the
1: show. Yeah, be I guest. said, but
0: listen, it's about mothers. She says, no, you're supposed to be talking about summer activities with kids. Come on. And we me, said
1: that last week. Knocked yeah. me
0: over that she really, really did listen, speaking of who is listening. And uh, so we are going to add that. In the second half of this show, we're going to talk about that. But for now... I think then no, we're just here with these mothers um, they're from all different uh configurations most of them do have a lot of kids but um they are committed mothers they're deliberate mothers they're really working hard to be better people themselves so they can be better mothers and I mean really we're talking about motherhood being the refiner's fire the thing that I mean, you know, we have no idea what job we signed up for when we we have a baby in that delivery room. They do not give you an extran- instruction manual, and you just have to go figure it out. And we were just talking about what a refiner it is as we go through and sacrifice and give so much, and then you get in these crazy situations. There's one mom here who said, I didn't even want to come. My kids are so nutty. They're so bad. They're so bad right now that um, I didn't even want to come because people were saying, oh, I love my kids. They're so darling. And it really is so fun to hear the different perspectives that we have on motherhood. And there are those phases when you think, oh, my gosh, I did not sign up for this. This is much harder than I thought. But in the end, you pull yourself together and you do it. You make it happen. And I mean, not you don't make it happen in the way you want, but you absolutely have to learn how to deal with crisis, how to deal with hard times, as well as how to deal with good times. How much praise a child needs, and then the, the big part is that every child is different. Some need need more than others, and it really is the biggest challenge, the biggest job in the world.
1: Well, how um, it's interesting, Linda. How uh, uh, so? You're really it's a seminar, sort of not only on parenting but also on marriage. I guess it's kind of a combination of the two.
0: Yeah, and Would you, say? you know, and you know, basically motherhood. But um, we, for example, we um, we started out this morning with um, a, a more spiritual discussion about um, having a broken heart and just having a broken heart. How important it is to have a broken heart. And um, we've all had broken hearts. Last night we introduced um, ourselves to each other, and everybody mentioned a hard time in their life. And then this morning we talked about how important it is to have a broken heart and what we learn from being a broken heart, and that we're better people because of being broken. And um, boy, they're just a, really is a deep group. They're wonderful. So many great ideas and suggestions and help for each other because everybody's in a different position. So it's well, really do fun. you
1: do you think? I mean, it's interesting what you said, honey. Do you think any? woman i guess you could include men in this too but do you think any woman when they have children and they get into parenting do you think anyone has a, a full idea of what what they're getting into I, I don't think any no and in other words is anyone really Absolutely not. for motherhood i don't think anyone is because no matter how many books you've read no many how many uh people you've watched or models you have or idols you have in your mind of what kind of mother you want to be. I just, uh, a, you don't know what the kid's going to be like. You, you, you can't predict you, you, you don't know what you'll get. It's like the luck of the draw. Almost. it's almost like oh really? the bad and analogy.
0: And well, yeah, exactly. But kids come who they are. And the farther I get, the more I realize they really come who they are. I mean, you, you give them all you possibly can of, um, love and nurturing and encouragement and praise and correction and all that stuff you do all you can but as our kids have flown the nest and have gone off to be their own people in their own lives i realized they came who they were they are so much like they were in the delivery room now and uh, let me just let let me
1: let me ask one more thing because i want listeners to and i want to understand this because obviously i'm not there and i don't know too much about this particular seminar Mm but i as I understand it, then you and Margaret Archibald, our good friend, are sort of the senior. Uh, you're like the mentors up there, and then you've got a lot of women who are what would you say mid, mid. They're in the middle of their families. Their kids are yeah, still they're
0: all home. about in their forties, you know, early forties.
1: They've got teenagers. And, they've got little kids. They've got adolescents, Yeah,
0: all kinds. And so on. Yeah, some right little Yes, have her 38 or so, so but 38 to that's 45. An interesting,
1: I that's an interesting configuration because uh, a lot of times you've been involved, and I, to, to a lesser extent, with uh, our daughter, Saren, loosely in her organization, Power of Moms. But I would say usually when we've gone to those gatherings, and those are big gatherings sometimes with, with uh, a lot of women, and I would say a lot of them are young mothers with uh, with with preschoolers and with elementary age kids and so on. And it sounds like this one, the kids are, the the moms are, and the kids are maybe a little older.
0: Well, they are because Saren, this is Saren's thought child. I mean, she thought this through and decided that she had been giving advice to younger mothers for so many years that it was time that she got some advice from older mothers. I mean, not older, but mothers with older That's children, yeah. and so they're yeah. down the road a little bit. And and then there's these really old mothers, you know, Margaret and I, um, <laughs> who have had a little more experience, and I was just telling him how fun it is when the kids actually leave home. Oh, my gosh, we're just having so much fun. And one of the Ooh, mothers says, careful, I have never careful. heard anybody that, say that. I have never heard anybody say yeah. that that's the
1: most traumatic time in life for a lot of women when they become empty nesters, but you're you're putting a positive spin on it, right?
0: Oh, absolutely, my gosh, I wouldn't go back for anything. I think that a lot of mothers you know lived that life for so long that they would love to go back because they were so fulfilled in doing it. And it's not that I wanted my kids to leave, but although we did shout "Hallelujah" when our ninth number nine went off, but um, it really isn't. Don't is tell her that. Yeah, oh, well, she knows. <laughs> She's <laughs> shouting her out. <laughs> but well, um, Linda, it's
1: time. It's time for a brief break. But as you alluded to earlier, we did promise last time that we'd continue a little bit of our discussion on, on sort of out of the box activities. To Keep your kids busy during the summer So we'll take a brief break And we'll be right back on Ayers on the Road
0: Ayers on the Road Parenting in a modern world Here's Richard and Linda Iyer, And we're back Here we are back again And
1: uh, it is beautiful
0: Summertime um, it is gorgeous where I am up in Park City. If you're just tuning in, I'm in Park City in Richardstown in Salt Lake and it, I think I don't know where you are exactly. Yeah, but. I'm
1: working on I'm working on these these are getting ready for this Swiss documentary filmmaker who's coming in to get to work on a new documentary film on our book The Turning Why the State of the Family Matters and What the World Can Do About It. And so we're excited about that, but we did promise to talk a little more, Linda, about sort of of out-of-the-box. Is that the right term for it? Summer activities that you might not have thought of, and kids getting out of school. Some just getting out this week, by the way. School ends later than it used to, I think.
0: Well, on the East Coast particularly, our kids are still in school out there until the third week. Let's see. This could have been their last week, but... Anyway, if you're in England, it's July, so, you know, summer is on us, though, no matter where you are in the school, and some have year-round school and so on, but we have done some really fun things in the summer, and we mentioned just briefly uh, on the last show, I think, about uh, building our log cabin up in Oregon. We took all of our kids up there and built a log cabin in the middle of nowhere, and it was an absolutely crazy experience. Yeah, that's right, two different summers. But we thought we'd really concentrate on something a little more realistic this time. I think, Richard, you're the master of summer deals. Why don't you tell our good friends here a little bit about how we dealt with summer deals?
1: Well, and this will be a little controversial to some because we always run into some parents who say, hey, you shouldn't pay your kids for anything. They should do everything they do because they're part of your family. And I understand that. I understand that sentiment behind that, but we've always felt that um, tying the work kids do into some kind of a family economy is a really smart thing to do. I mean, kids can have certain jobs that they, that they do because they get rewarded for it financially. They can have many other jobs and responsibilities that they do just because they're part of a family. But um, getting kids to the position where they have money that they've actually earned, and then they have earned ownership in the money, and then in that case the things they buy they feel ownership of, and they begin to take care of their things, and they begin to save, and they begin to budget, and so on. So we have this big system we've talked about on the show before for a, a family economy during the school year. But we always felt, and many of the families we work with today feel like you don't, probably want to continue that, you know, that same uh, family economy and the same jobs and responsibilities through the summer because the summer is very different. You may be on a vacation. You may be traveling. The kids aren't going to school, so they have other things they're doing. So the summer deals that that Linda's talking about were sort of a change-up. They were sort of a new approach where what we would do, and I'm going to give this in just a nutshell, and then you expand it a little, Linda, we would say – what are your goals for the summer? We've got two months or we've got seven weeks or whatever the summer vacation is where you live, and what are we going to do with that? And then we would show the kids our summer goals, that is, Linda and I, the things we were trying to accomplish during the summer. And we'd, we'd we'd sort of portray it. This is a very adult thing when you set goals, you know, and you've got little 7 and 8 and 10-year-olds who are like, oh, I, I want to do it. I, I can set a goal, you know. And it even works with adolescents because it has a financial tie-in that I'll get to in a minute. So you say, well, why don't you set some goals then? And it's usually good to give them some kind of a structure. You might want to have some goals for. You might want to have some mental goals like reading and and getting ahead ready for next school year. You might want to have some physical goals like uh, having to do with your tennis that you're you're trying to learn, or you might want to have some emotional goals like not getting angry so often or whatever, but don't give them too many examples. Maybe give them categories, but see what they come up with. It's very entertaining what kids come up with as goals, sometimes very interesting goals that you wouldn't have thought of because they're thinking, how do I use my summer? How do I improve myself? How do I become you know, better at things? And you can guide them a little and help them refine those goals, but then once they've set them, And remember, Linda, we would always find that if you give them a a big board, a big poster board, or a big foam core board, and if you have your goals as a parent on those, so they see, oh, wow, that's cool, you've got these goals listed there, and we would put a big circle by the goals, and you fill that circle in as you work on them. It's like a pie chart, and you, you know if you've got a certain amount, let's say your goal is to be able to rally 30 balls on the tennis court without missing, and one day you get to 10. Well, then you color in a couple of those segments on your little pie chart. And kids really get into that. And here's the financial part. Set up a deal with them where the goals that you finish I mean, negotiate this. You know, the main reason you're working on these goals, honey, is because you want to be a better tennis player. You want to be a better reader. You want to be a better friend and so on. But just as an incentive – the ones you finish by the end of the summer, this is how much we will give you as a bonus, and that bonus you can use to buy your school clothes in the fall. And so you're tying it back into the purchase decisions that kids will make, which they learn a lot from. And and it's really, uh, we've seen so many families, not just our own, but a lot of other families that have adopted this and in some cases made it better than we ever did it. And, you know, it keeps kids busy. It gives them a chance to say, these are my goals. I'm not doing this because my mom assigned me to this. I mean, there's some of that, too, in my summer, of course. But these are my goals. I'm working on them. I'm going to get them done. And I'm going to get a bonus for the ones I finish by the end of the summer. And then I can really buy some things that I want for the new school year. It's really quite a wonderful thing. It's not easy. It takes some work and some effort and a lot of discussion with kids. You don't just sit down one day and do it all in three hours. It's a, it's a process. But
0: well, the, and also, I mean, you I, were – go ahead. Just to, Well, I'm
1: just going to uh, sort of summarize. The, the things you're doing is pretty important. You're teaching them to set goals. You're teaching them to be responsible for money. And you're teaching them to have to have their own motivation, find their own incentive, because you're not going to – Remind them, if they don't do it, they don't get the bonus.
0: Um, it's great for summer reading. I mean, some kids just devour books anyway. We have a grandson who, his mother just bought him a t- series of 27 books. I said, are you kidding? She said, oh man, he'd read the first one by the time we almost got out the door. I mean, he's just in just devouring books. And other times, kids have a hard time reading, but if it's their goal to read and not have you read your book? Have you done your reading? Da, 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 da. Then it makes all the difference. And it is so funny to see how they internalize it and how it comes out. We, our youngest daughter, Charity, when she was like seven or eight, maybe seven, and she, her goals were so hilarious. Um, one of them was, um, let's see, get 20%. She's got these percents in her mind. And I don't know how this yeah. happened. That had to come from you, honey, but she said um no it was
1: because she was studying she was studying percentages at schools and i'll just preface it kids kids that age usually don't know what a goal is like they'll say uh well i want to uh, practice tennis every day for one hour and you have to explain that's not a goal that's a plan you have to a goal is something you you achieve you you finally achieve it so like you know getting so you can hit 30 in a row over the net and so charity just This is just to tie back into your story, and then you go ahead, Annie. But she knew it had to be something that was a destination and that she could get to. So she started in with his percentages.
0: <laughs> okay. So, uh, for example, she said, get 20% fewer cavities. <laughs> go figure that. I mean, what? How do you... She really had t- terrible teeth. We were not in a place where there was fluoride when she was a baby, and Honestly, she had terrible teeth. She has little silver teeth all over her mouth. Anyway, so um, I mean that maybe it's just I'm a terrible mother and she didn't brush as much as she should. But no, anyway,
1: that, that's actually. But that. But let me just say that's a great example because at first her goal was brush my teeth every night, and then we were trying to teach her. Well, that that's a that's a plan. What's the goal? Why do you want to brush your teeth every night? And then she says, Well, because I want to have 20 percent fewer cavities. Well. That was a good goal because the previous time she'd gone to the dentist, she'd had eight cavities. So she wanted to not have more you than can six. Imagine.
0: Well, I guess I don't so know if she had 20% or 25%. But another one, I mean, one of her um, social goals was to be 30% nicer. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know how, how you measure you that. that. And I'm not sure she ever really accomplished that because she, she had her nasty moments, but she absolutely, um, was thinking about it. She was working at it. She was really trying to be nicer. And, uh, I don't know whether, you know, that was the goal. And then she had some specific plans. She probably did knowing, uh, instructions from her dad of how she was going to be nicer. But it really is fun to see what comes out of their little minds on setting goals on their own.
1: And one byproduct of that, honey, is that you, um, you know, so many parents will come up and say, how do I get my kids off the screens? How do I get them away from the computer? How do I get them off their smartphones and in the summer? All they want to do is sit around and watch movies or play video games or, or, you know, be on their apps and so on. And you know, I don't think it works very – I mean, you have to do this. You restrict how much time they can be on them and so on. But that's the defense. That's the negative. And I think if you are successful in helping kids to set some goals of their own, and if they really do set those goals of their own and they think of them as their goals, but they also know they're going to get a bonus for the ones they complete, I think that's how you begin to get them away from the passive activities of of video and technology. If they're working on something proactively to bring your word in again, honey, that's an offense. I mean, then they want to say, well, I could sit around and watch this video game or I could work on my goal. And if they're getting a lot of encouragement from you, they're getting a bonus. It's a goal that they've set. They're starting to take a little pride in it. That's probably the best answer as to how to get them away from these. It's like, Removing them from a passive activity by getting them into an active activity,
0: right? And you know, another thing. uh, Speaking of having them have ownership of what they do in the summer, we were just talking with a daughter-in-law night before last, and she's so concerned about her kids because they're addicted to those screens. They they're just dying to be on them all the time and be playing Angry Birds and all the, you know, the fun stuff that they have on computers. And now she's got a son that started coding who's in the fifth grade, and he coded the game himself. Now, that's different. But I, she said, I just don't know how to handle it. Well, how do I restrict him on the time? And I said, the best thing you can do is sit down with him and say, what do you think? What do you think the rules ought to be?
1: I mean, because and what are you your know, goals? Maybe, maybe he has a goal for his computer coding, you know? So that well, would be yeah, much right. better than just a passive activity.
0: But, I mean, he knows his mother's very concerned about that. And... Um, it really was an interesting because one reason she's overly concerned about it because her dad was kind of addicted to, I mean, it wasn't yeah. porn or anything, but he was addicted to other games and stuff like that. And she just thought, you know, is this in the gene or not? We gotta stop this. And so she's kind of overly like that. So she, she's decided that she's gonna sit down with her oldest child and say, what do you think the rules ought to be? What do, What do you think the time limit ought to be? And once they have some input on it, then they suddenly own it, and they, it becomes and so much
1: easier to enforce it. Speaking of time limits, the time has flown. We love and we're done. on Ayers on the Road. See you next time on Ayers on the Road.
0: Bye-bye.